Big week? Huge week. I'm on vacation. Awesome. Party. Yay. This is Control Structure episode 38, three times the power, for August 6, 2013, with hosts Christopher Thompson and Andrew Bailey. And now, would you like more cores with that? Big week? Uh, no. No? Nope. Small week? Horrible week. Oh. How so? Three production issue calls over the weekend. Oh. Ranging from every hour of the day. Every hour. You mean uh, one at 11 p.m., one at 2 a.m., and one at 5 a.m.? Close enough. <laughs> it was actually at 4 a.m., 12 a.m., and 1 a.m. Wow. Yeah, I guess but, you'll, I guess you'll have to be very uh, nocturnal then. But the good night thing is, I slept right through them, so my boss got called. Epic. Yeah, which he is quitting this. Well, he's leaving this Friday. Leaving? You mean like vacation? He's getting replaced. Oh, okay. Two of the managers are getting consolidated into one manager. Oh well, his loss. No, not really. Or someone's loss? I'm not exactly sure how to say that. So, um, well, turns out that, you know, we might all be dead. Because, uh, apparently the sun's magnetic field is about to shift again. Again? Yes, it happened like a long time ago, and it had like terrible devastation, like everywhere. You, 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 you mean like stuff like um, Obama getting elected into office, gas prices on the rise? Um, no, I was thinking about like more global catastrophe things. I, I say that's about the gl- globalist catastrophe you can get. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Actually, I, I, I'm I'm all ready for a Fallout simulator in real life, honestly. Um, well, at least uh, we would have a boost in our science skills. <laughs> so, but uh, anyways, uh, that's just to sensationalize things a little bit. Uh, in reality. The sun sort of goes through a period about once every 11 years, and uh, its period is coming up here in like three or four months when it just totally flips. It goes like bipolar or something. And how long will this mood change last? Um, not sure. Um... But, yeah, it should be over pretty quickly. And if it's not... Oh, and if it's not, uh, enjoys a lot of cosmic rays. 
So, yeah. And that's just because we don't have any science shows on this podcast. Uh, it's still very newsworthy. Yep. So, um... Let's see, with all this solar storms going on, think you might need a good place to hide. So, think of good places to hide. Um, bomb shelters. Um, that, that's a pretty... In, in the lawn chair on the pool. <laughs> um, in, in a flower pot. A flower pot. Yeah, you mean flower pot. You mean you mean like out of the open where everyone can see you? Yeah, the well, best hiding spot ever. Well, someone else thought so too, and he started using a municipal flower pot to grow well pot. <laughs> so, over in uh, Newport uh, in Wales, uh, someone actually had the clever idea to plant pot plants in. Uh, like the municipal flower beds over there. Uh, apparently, really? apparently, about 20 plants could be seen sprouting amongst flowers in six separate boxes in the city center, passed by thousands every day and half a mile from the police station. Huh. Well, obviously, somebody found it. Yep. Um... Uh, see, some guy commented, it's actually a rather beautiful plant and stood out wonderfully. <laughs> that before or after he tasted it. Uh, I gotta wonder about that. You know, that kind of makes me wonder, what happens if you just, I don't know, sprinkle it all over the place just for the heck of it? <laughs> Other people's lawns, government's lawns. Hey, the White House. <laughs> well... Um, I'm not exactly sure if that would be a terrorist activity. I'm well. Let's do it and find out, and then we'll just wait till they burn it. Yeah, some someone would probably twist it into that. Yeah, it's a shame people just take them all. Is one of the comments. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, how about some Kickstarter? Well, Canada. Ye- Canada? You mean yeah. there's, they're going to kickstart Canada? Yep, we're kickstarting Canada. They're not producing enough maple sh- maple sh- syrup. Hmm. That's got to be a problem. But uh, maybe someone can uh, do something about it. Because on September 9th, uh, Kickstarter will be uh, launching Canadian-based projects. So... Um, you know, of course, they started here in the U.S., and uh, they've been over in the uh, the England for quite a while. So, they're uh, going north. Cool. Well, that's about as far north as they can go. Yeah. And uh, this webpage here has, uh, like, some of that ambient video uh, that, uh, like, I've seen... Like, if you remember that uh, one uh, uh, report we had last week about uh, computers coming from China. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there was, like, really nice ambient video in that, and it's really cool to see web design going in that 
uh, that direction. Unfortunately, we don't have any uh, lol apple or raspberry news this week, uh, but we do have some QuakeCon news. Uh, John Carmack gave the keynote there, and he talked about software development uh, and not about rockets. Interesting. So, so you can... Uh, uh, content may be inappropriate, so... So, so that's really so about. yeah, that's uh, like about three hours long there, but uh, uh, like he goes into uh, like uh, he pretty much works on C plus plus all day, and uh, he actually got into a lot about Haskell and uh, like functional programming. So um, and like he was talking about how uh, how broken the uh, asset tools for. Uh, all the various id game engines are, and about how they're breaking it like every week or so. And <laughs> I, I thought it was a pretty good uh, talk. So. Oh, I'll definitely have to listen to it for three hours. I might listen to it while I'm working. Yep. So you know, in an eight-hour day, that's about how long I sit at my desk these days. Really, you in meetings all the time? No, I'm out for a walk, eating ice cream, eating lunch, eating snacks, hmm. at other people's desk, making myself look busy. <laughs> yeah, since you seem to find projects where you don't work at all. Well, the, the, I create projects now. Oh, right, because you got promoted. I was creating projects before I got promoted. So, so there's even well. pictures here from uh, QuakeCon. So, and it's generally just a huge land party. So there's a uh, quite a bit of case modding uh, and showing off going on. Hmm. So, cool. Well, have you heard about um, Firefox Twenty Three? I have heard about Firefox 23, and I'm using it right now. So, the uh, the big thing is, well, aside from the logo change, um, apparently they've dropped support for the Blink tag. So, uh, they've also uh, implemented support for uh, the range input type. So, like, apparently that'll just, like, create a slider on the page. So... Nice. So you might not have to use jQuery UI for that. Hmm. So, and uh, apparently yeah. mixed content blocking uh, has been enabled uh, by default. So if you have an HTTPS page, 
it won't execute any JavaScript uh, from a non-HTTPS page. Nice. Hmm, oh. Interesting. Hey, uh, while we're uh, upgrading, uh, you might want to get to the latest Putty client. Uh, this is the sort of Putty. Yeah, the the SSH client. Uh, pretty much the best there is for Windows. I haven't heard that since I've been playing video games back in high school. So uh, apparently, it plugs up four security holes. Nice. Um, How many more did it introduce? Uh, well, we're going to have to wait until point six four to figure that out. <laughs> uh, but, uh, so while you're logging into your uh, Linux box, uh, you might want to use uh, a USB 3.1, uh, the specification of which uh, was just released, uh, enabling 10 gigabit per second connections. So, this is, uh, you know, rather blazing fast. So, uh, 10 gigabits, that's uh, over 1 gigabyte per second. That's not bad. Uh, so, yeah, uh, it's so interesting having this come on the heels of uh, USB 3, um, because there was like 10 years in between USB 2 and 3, um, but this is only three point one. True, and uh, like we barely oh, have. You're fully equipped to start handling USB three when they actually become available. Yep, uh, like we barely have USB three uh, things. Uh, let's see. For instance, I only have two ports on uh, my motherboard. Uh, let's see. Then I have uh, a. A thumb drive and a uh, card reader. That's like the only USB three things I have. Hmm. So, do you have any USB three things? I do not, sadly. Not even on your motherboard. Oh, I have one, two, two on my case, and then let me check my motherboard. Two external ones, and then about, I think, one or two internal. But I also have a very, very other interesting port. It's USB 2.0 with three times the power. Oh, you mean, uh, like to charge things? Yep. Ah. Yeah, I have a few of those. It's really, really interesting. Let's see, uh... Actually, all my USB 2.0 ports are three times the power. <laughs> um, let's see I that... See my webcam's not working. See, that That kind of reminds me that uh, my folding solar cells should be here pretty soon. In the next ah, month. Nice. Yeah, I kick-started that uh, a few months ago. So, um... Now that you have USB 3... And well, 3.1. Maybe you can use it on your mainframes uh, because you might be able to afford one. Uh, IBM has just decided to start licensing its power CPU architecture to third parties. So 
Uh, have you ever looked into ARM? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, actually, yes. So there's like uh, like a billion of these ARM CPUs everywhere, and they're use- mostly used in cell phones and tablets. And like a variety of companies actually produce them, but they're actually licensed out from a central company called ARM Holdings. Uh, so, you know, IBM hopes to do this with their own power architecture. So, uh, hopefully it will, you know, do well for them, increase market share, and, uh, like, uh, increase the vitality of their hardware and software ecosystems. Hmm, interesting. So, and, uh, the consortium, uh, includes Google, uh, NVIDIA, uh, let's see, Mellanox Technologies, I haven't heard of them, and Tyan, a motherboard uh, maker. Hmm. Well, that'll be interesting to see what happens. Yep. So, do you know about names? I do know about names. Well... Maybe let me be a few, a little bit more specific about this. Do you have any assumptions about names? That they should be... Are we talking programming sense? Uh, no, like names of people. Yeah, they're just, they're just the title. Yeah. Give, uh, given to you at, at both. Well, not necessarily. Yeah, Na- yeah. Names do change. Not, not not that often. So, um, apparently we have a few assumptions about names, including the fact that they are both sensitive, uh, case-sensitive, and case-insensitive. Huh? Yeah, that's what got me. Apparently, uh, there's this, uh, list of, uh, like, 40 things. Um, so, like, apparently... Uh, assumptions like people have exactly one canonical full name. And they have what does exa- that mean? Like, this is the one name uh, that uh, people would prefer to go by. Um, like, the their actual official name, rather. Mm. I would have to say that would be false. Uh, people have exactly n names for any value of n. That makes no sense. Next. <laughs> um, let's see. Of course, I'm uh, pretty sure that we don't have this. People's names are globally unique. <laughs> if If you think that... Um, you know how many Chris Thompson's and Christopher Thompson's work in my building? Um, I thought you said you work with a bunch of Indians. I, Indians make up my team, which is also I want to point out, almost every single Indian has Kumar in their name. <laughs> okay, like sort of how uh, every uh, Mexican girl has Maria somewhere in their name? Pretty much, yeah. Well, then again, I'm just talking about Indian boys that uh, have Kumar in it. Let's see. 
uh, my system will never have to deal with names from China or Japan <laughs> or Korea or Ireland <laughs> um, and like a whole bunch of other places. Uh, well, officially Firefox 23. What are you talking about? Oh, I upgraded my Firefox. Awesome. So, yeah, this this article is uh, rather interesting and enlightening. Ooh, number 15. People's names do not contain letters. Numbers. Do not contain numbers, yeah. Uh, people's names have an order to them. Picking any ordering scheme will automatically result in consistent ordering among all systems, as long as both use the same scheme for the same name. Hmm. The, uh, par- People's first name and last name by necessity different. No. I mean, uh, remember Chris Christensen uh, from Newmont? Yeah. Yeah, that's like really close. Uh huh. And, you know, it can just <laughs> go ahead and collapse in on itself at that point. The Klingon Empire thing was a joke, right? Um, the Klingon Empire was in that list of really long name, really, uh, long list of places. So, uh, there exists an algorithm which transforms names, which can be reversed losslessly. Yes, mm-hmm. you can do it if your algorithm returns the input. You get a gold star. Mm-hmm. Uh, people's names are assigned at birth. Okay, well, maybe not at birth, but pretty close to it. Okay, within a year or so. Five years? <laughs> You're kidding me, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, two different systems containing data about the same person will use the same name for that person. Nope. Think, think international spy. Uh, witness protection program. <laughs> I like number th- thirty-nine and ultimately forty. Um, the fact that people have names—that's uh, apparently a dangerous assumption. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then yeah, there's things like my parents call me Andy. And I really don't go by that name. Hi, Mom. Check that off the list. <laughs> well, that was certainly an interesting one. Yep. You know what's not interesting? Software patents. So. <sighs> exactly, an old topic that shouldn't be around anymore. Um, All right, moving on. <laughs> well, apparently economists hate uh, software patents as well, and they recognize the fact that uh, patent defense costs companies a whole lot of money, and the very fact that you know uh, there might be a patent troll around to uh, disrupt uh, the development of a product is enough to persuade them to go elsewhere. And economists, you know, have recognized this fact. You know, hopefully they can work to change it. That's good. 
so we're we're not alone anymore. Exactly. Well, moving on. Just nice to know we got another ally. Have you heard about Infosyst? Um, I have. Um, have I've, I've actually come across them. In fact, at my old job, uh, when they were bought out by Aetna, uh, apparently Aetna's go-to, uh, like, they, they actually contracted with Infosys to provide them with all their staffing needs. So, mm. yeah, I was, uh, you know, looking through the resumes and interviewing a few Indians there before I left. But uh, apparently that's uh, rather endemic to that company because uh, they have been accused of discriminating against, quote, stupid Americans. Um, so going into a little bit details, you know, we've sort of heard about the H-1B visas. Uh, apparently there's B-1 visas as well, and they're a little bit different. And they there's also L-1. So, and apparently these visas uh, come with a few restrictions on, you know, what the person can do in America. And apparently Infosys was using B-1 visa holders in, uh, like, telling them to do improper things. Uh, things that an H-1B visa would be required for. And, uh, uh among other things, uh, you know, for instance, they post a job opening... And, uh, like, they've been accused of deliberately, uh, you know, manipulating resumes. Uh, for instance, this one person here uh, said that they were, uh, like, a good, uh, was it, like, a virtual machine administrator. And the resume that the company got on the other side said that this person had no experience whatsoever uh, doing that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, this will be interesting to see where this goes. Yep. Another Infosys employee wrote, Americans cost money. Or dollar and, sign. Yep. So, and uh, apparently they're seeking class action status for, quote, thousands, unquote, of Americans, not of South Asian descent, who were denied jobs at Infosys since January 1st, 2009. The lawsuit also demands orders compelling Infosys to adopt non-discriminatory hiring methods and financial damages for her and fellow class members. Mm, nice. So, yep. So, ever wonder what the future of programming would be like? From the 60s? Sure, why not? Wait, that's today. So, uh, Brett Victor has given a talk about the future of programming from the perspective of the 1960s. And uh, he brings up a few valid things, a few interesting things, that if you look over the intervening time, uh, really have only really happened now and you know tries to make points that uh, back then uh, people really didn't know what to do with computers and what they were capable of so it was a you know fertile ground for ideas um, and that now we sort of you know settled into a rut and you know it's hard to get out of and uh, he mentions things like uh, 
you know, uh, like thread locking, like how you would lock a variable in a multi-threaded environment to, you know, change values. And, uh, you know, apparently back in the 60s, they uh, came up with something called the actor model and a few other things that would promote uh, multi-threaded programming. And, uh, uh, you know, he, he mentioned something like if we're still using, you know, threads and locks in, you know, 40 years from now, we might as well, you know, pack up our bags and go home because we failed. Well, it's been 50 years. So, and, uh, you know, he mentions about, uh, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, there's this one company called Intel, this one startup called Intel that, you know, made this really uh, great uh, microprocessor called the 4004. And, you know, and, uh, you know, it's like it, it would be a shame if they really got a stranglehold on the market. <laughs> so... And uh, apparently back, uh, even back in the 60s, they realized that, you know, uh, you know, pretty much the best way to increase performance and to scale upwards was to add more cores to a system. Hmm. So. Yep, that is true. I can't wait till we have 1,000 cores. Yeah, that, that would be rather interesting to do. And it's still not enough to play a video game. <laughs> well, it, unless uh, they uh, massively change the underlying hardware architecture. So. Well, you got, you got as little as it gets. We do have that. I, I, I say that is a pretty significant hardware change. <laughs> um, let's see, but uh, let's see. We don't need to wait until we have 1,000 cores, because there's already 1,000 cores on my graphics card. Really? I'm pretty sure of it. So... Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, Matthew Butterick uh, goes on an epic rant about how typography on the web is all messed up, and also uh, says that advertising is destroying the web. And uh, he looks at several, uh, you know, websites from like 15 years ago, and then takes a look at websites today. And he, you know, looks. Uh, actually, takes an example of McDonald's and Apple about how, uh, you know, they're sort of uh, pushing the same ideas. Uh, you know, in fact, you know, making you know, fall in love with a product in order to buy it. And mm -hmm. uh, then he goes on and it's like, okay, we'll only figure out other examples of good design on the web. And, you know, you'd think of, you know, people who he actually goes on to say about, like, typography on the web. And he's like, well, you know, what's the main uh, presenters of, you know, text on the web? Well, they're like newspapers. So he goes to newspaper websites and calls all of them are bad. Like, every single one of them universally bad. And I guess um, he doesn't really like the information density presented on newspaper websites that much. Mm. About how they're just jam-packed with, like, text everywhere, ads everywhere. And that leads him into another point of advertising is totally destroying the web. 
I don't think advertisements destroying the web. Me neither. But I mean, it, it's just like saying commercials destroying TV. Um, it's it's not really, but uh, you know, it's it's a little bit odd when you sit down for a half hour show and it's fifteen minutes of ads. Yeah. Though I find most half hours shows are ten minutes ad, twenty minutes TV. <laughs> so the rates have gotten a little bit better. So, yeah, it's a rather interesting read. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, they say the SQL Server twenty fourteen sucks. No kidding. It's expensive, and apparently, it's all your fault. All my fault. Yes, all your fault. Aww. And I, I have a news article to prove it. It's all your fault. So, um, apparently, it seems like with uh, every release of SQL Server, that Microsoft has been uh, moving uh, features that used to be in the standard edition to, like, the enterprise edition. Um, for instance... Uh, if you want to use more than $500 worth of memory in your server, you have to step up to the Enterprise Edition. Really? Interpri uh, the Standard Edition license costs about $2,000 per CPU core, and it can only access 64 gigs of memory. Mm. So, bump up to the Enterprise Edition, which costs $7,000 per CPU core. Interesting. Quick glance. Uh, you can no longer do database snapshots. Um, index, well, online indexing and parallel indexing. Wouldn't uh, you like to use more than one core with that? Yeah, you would need more than one core anyways. That one actually makes sense to move. Auditing. Guess only enterprises need compliance. Yep. Any non-deprecated high availability features. Hmm. Such as always on, database mirroring, and that's, but that's marked for death. Uh, uh, availability, always on availability has replaced database mirroring. Hmm. Just so you know. My, my, my company's actually switching over quite a bit of stuff from mirroring to to always on. Hmm. And and it's and it's real time also, so very, very nice. Well, it's a good thing that I uh like Postgres. Ugh I'm just kidding, I worked with it on my lazy project. Yep, it's not that bad. It's, no. It's uh from uh what I hear it's a hell of a lot better than MySQL. I was going to ask, how is MySQL doing? Haven't heard about them for quite a long time. Mostly because they died. Um, because, uh, uh, if you recall, they got bought out by Sun, and then Sun in turn got bought out by Oracle. And if you recall, Oracle is like huge database company. Yeah. So, like, they, uh. really, they really don't like uh, free alternatives. Um... <laughs> At least so the rumor goes, and, uh, like, the guy that, uh, actually made MySQL quit, 
and founded another company that essentially provided a drop-in replacement. Mm. It's quite funny. Cool. Well, I think Microsoft's eventually going to fold on some of this stuff like they they did with the X-Bone project. The no-use game-sharing part. Oh, yeah, like uh, the total Xbox One 80 (laughs) they did with that. Mm-hmm. So. Because if they eventually keep pushing and pushing standard users to go to Enterprise, they're just going to collapse in that area. Yep. So, you know, if uh, you take features away from, you know, the standard edition, people are not going to upgrade, uh, you know, especially the people who are rather strapped for cash already. Correct. So, so yeah, if apparently this uh, Matthew Butterick guy, if we step back with the typography stuff, uh, seems like he has an epic book about typography. Mm. So, he goes so through... I guess he seems legit. Yeah. I mean, totally, because he has, like, a lot of pages on, you know, like, what text is, and, like, features of text... Hmm. Well, then this is then again, this is the internet. We like to screw with stuff. Yep. Uh, screw with stuff. Um, like, uh, what if you want to test uh, getting a particular response code? So apparently, someone set up an an HTTP response code as a service. Hmm. Interesting. So you know, it's a very easy. Uh, format, you just go to this URL slash the status and it will return that status as, you know, uh, you know, that HTTP status. Hmm. So, you can try this, you know, if you want to test out, like, a SOAP call or AJAX call or whatever. Interesting. Hey, look, I'm a teapot. Forbidden. Huh. You're a teapot? Yes, uh, 418. What does that air message mean? 418 is I'm a teapot. It, uh, is an April Fool's joke. Um. Really? Yes. There's an actual air message, I'm a teapot? Yes. Well, it's glad to see that IT, well, internet users, well, internet developers still have a sense of humor. Yes, uh, that's the hypertext coffee pot control protocol. You know, they need a Zerg Rush in here somewhere. <laughs> uh, no, you'd actually have to Google Zerg Rush to get that. Uh, release the Kraken. <laughs> hmm. I'm not sure if Google has an Easter egg for that. But, uh, hey, have you heard about, uh, like, home automation and, like, uh, smart homes, uh, where, like, you can turn on, like, a light switch or, like, turn on a stove from your car when you're driving home? Oh, wow, that Easter egg's still there? No! (laughs) Go away! I'm mm. sorry, I was just Googling uh, Zogrush. Yeah, sure. 
Um, so have you heard about uh, smart houses? Yes, I and, have. How uh, you can do everything from your phone. Yep. Um, apparently, a lot of these uh, uh, products uh, don't take security seriously or really have security at all. So, uh, this journalist, uh, he was uh, searching around and he stumbled across, uh, you know, just even by, you know, searching around Google, uh, found uh, home automation control panels just open and exposed on the web. And, uh, you know, with absolutely no security or passwords or anything, or like even default passwords. And, uh, like he, uh, traced, you know, connected one of these control panels to an actual guy with a phone number, and he called him up, and, uh, like eventually, you know, he got, uh, you know, got him to realize that, you know, hey, I'm just like some guy out there. And you need to like lock down your stuff. Um, you know, I uh, see. I asked him if I could try to turn one of his devices on and off. He told me to turn off the light that he was in the room. Uh, after I did it, there was a pregnant pause. Anything? I asked. He responded that nothing had happened and rushed off the phone. Uh, the next day, the system was locked down, accessible only by username and password. <laughs> that, yeah, that. Well, that's about as scary as ha- having white hat send you your your um, password to your computer, um, or like an action. You know, just any website send you your password. Yep. Yeah, passwords should never be stored in a reversible format like that. So, um, uh, let me put in the gush. So, speaking of uh, home security, uh, would you like the NSA to come and test it? Yes! So, apparently, there's now a button that you can push that will Google all the terms that the NSA hates and will supposedly cause them to come and destroy your front door. I love the website name. Summon the NSA. NSA. (laughs) Somebody has too much time on their hand. So, yeah, by clicking this button, your browser will do a Google search for a list of known words that the NSA monitors. Uh, These searches will summon the police and FBI to your house, because just like everyone living in America today, all of your digital transactions are being monitored. So... Um, this button will, uh, search for rootkit, PLO, chemical weapon, disaster medical assistance team, malware, service disruption, conventional weapon, Taliban, suicide attack, and Tamil tigers. Camo tigers? Tamil tigers. Oh. So, I actually, uh, pressed this button at work. Cool. So... Uh, maybe w- after I get back from vacation, uh, something exciting will have ha- will have happened. Mm. So of course if they do, of course if they do that, then someone's gonna have to answer for disrupting uh, job creation. <laughs> since they, well, since they essentially good. disrupted a few businesses going in there. That's good. So you know what's good about the NSA attention? What's that? <laughs> 
Wikipedia is switching over to HTTPS. You mean the secured HTTPS? Uh, apparently, Probably the secured HTTPS. Uh, by default, uh, starting from August 21st, uh, it will be turned on for all logged in users. Of course, um, I've been using the HTTPS Everywhere uh, plugin um, on Firefox, and apparently it's also available for Chrome. Um, that, you know, essentially has a list of websites that are known to be HTTPS, and whenever you go there, it will automatically direct you to the uh, secured one. Hmm. Nice. And there you go. So, if you think the NSA is bad, well, I've found something that's even worse. Let me get a Xerox. A Xerox? Well, how'd you know? I've had quite a bit of dealing with the printer that office. So, apparently, Xerox machines corrupt scanned documents. It seems this problem is due to the lossy compression used called JBIG2. Uh, it works by, you know, dividing up the image and looking for similar-looking parts of the image and replaces them. So, the storage cost is lower. Uh, but... So kind of like JPEG? Uh, not really. It operates more like, uh, Zip does in that it looks for similar regions and replicates it. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, whereas JPEG works on a whole bunch of frequencies and, uh, like, divides them up and encodes everything separately. Mm. Uh, so this, uh, this guy was, uh, looking at, uh, it was actually, like, blueprints and layouts of an office, and, uh, you know, he has a Xerox Work Center 7556, uh, and uh, also a work center is 7535. And, you know, he scans in a few things and notices that, you know, this small number changes ever so slightly. Uh, like, for instance, uh, turns out that 21.11 turns to 14.13. Um, huh. And uh, that—that's that's pretty serious. Yeah, and that uh, sixes turns turns to eight. So, well, I you actually I'm all for that one because <laughs> well, my salary has a lot of sixes in it, especially the start number. So, um, uh, like the the problem is like, what if this you know scanned uh, or copied? say, like a medical prescriptions or something, suddenly you're getting 80 milligrams of something instead of 60. Yeah. That, that's a big problem. Yes, that is. So, um, apparently Xerox uh, has acknowledged this issue, and uh, apparently... Uh, for data integrity purposes, we recommend the use of factory defaults with a quality level set to higher. 
where the low quality slash higher compression is desired for small file sizes, we provide the following messages to our customers next to the quality settings. Uh, you know, the normal quality produces small sizes by using compression techniques. The quality is generally acceptable. However, text quality degradation and character substitution issues may occur. Oh, is that good that they put a warning? Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of bad that they even have this option at all. A copier is supposed to copy things. You know, it's not supposed to change them. doing the Zerg Rush again? Absolutely not. Anyways, um, I did uh, something rather interesting over the weekend. Um, I changed the fonts on my blog. Well, I don't notice the difference. Um, it's mm, not really supposed to, but there are small uh, changes. Uh, you know, moving to Noto Sans from uh, Open Sans. And uh, I finally switched over, you know, the uh, the fixed uh, space, the monospace font to cosine uh, from Deja Vu Sans. Uh, but the really, really interesting thing that I did uh, was that uh, I converted them all to data URIs, and I stuffed them all into my uh, CSS, uh, you know, my style sheet. So instead of, you know, requesting four things, you know, for mm. the styles, it's only requesting one thing. I choose this because the capital I and the lowercase, not sure what that is, I, I L to distinguish. The capital I and lowercase L. So, um... Alright, if you say so. So, yeah, I did a few comparisons and I'm like, whoa that actually is different and better. So, and then, like, the G's actually look like a G that you would write, and not the sort of fancy one. So, mm. so you, know, uh, you know what you should do? You should add, like, a little uh, drop-down that you can change the font style. Mm, Google already provides that. Like, you can well, actually... You so can actually what? So what if Google does? Well, I don't want to go through the uh, time it would take to implement that. Mm. Because, you know, apparently doing that is hard. So I don't think it would be that hard. Well, I mean, this is a blog. So, maybe, maybe I might do it somewhere else. But, mm. so... Yeah, uh, unfortunately, with the data URIs, uh, my CSS file is about 100k instead of like 
mm, I think it was maybe 2 or 3k, uh, but it covers what used to be four requests. So if some Secret Service agent is doing some clandestine operation with a satellite phone, he can spy on my site faster. I hear the lag on those is enough to blow up a pressure cooker. <laughs> so, hey, we got some feedback from Ryan. Cool. So, he uh, really liked the uh, the bugs in the code song. Uh, uh, Ryan thought it was funny that uh, we ran with that one because he saw a tweet a couple of weeks ago that went just like it. <laughs> Uh, 99 little bugs in the code, take one down, patch it around, 117 little bugs in the code. <laughs> so, um, I killed about eight bugs uh, today at work. Um, that is not including the flies I mashed up against the window. The um, no. Yes. Uh... And like, I, I, I helped find about four new bugs today in a system. Yeah, so uh, one of them was already fixed. Uh, uh, a second one was already fixed, but it was in a different branch. So, mm -hmm. like, I had to backport it. Okay. Uh, Ryan wonders, what anime was it, Chris, uh, that you watched for, what, eight hours? Let's see here that I watched for eight hours. I think it was eight hours. Probably Hunter X Hunter. That's that's the that's the only recent anime I watched. Actually no, that was a uh, twenty some odd hours I watched. Hmm. So uh the only recent anime I have greatly watched. Hmm. Uh, Ryan says that right now I'm listening to the show, uh, probably when he was actually writing the feedback. Uh, uh, so he's listening to it uh, using four Chrome windows with over 40 tabs, uh, playing Guild Wars 2, and only using 24% of 16 gigabytes of RAM. Uh, he never gets above 6 gigs used. Mm. Well, so, if he wants to break that, he should definitely... Download a uh, Super Pie. So uh, he did some math, and for a ten-foot screen diagonal uh, that is 120 inches, you'd need the resolution of 23,040 by 12,960 to get you a pixel per inch of around 220. Uh, that's about the same resolution as a Nexus 7. Uh, so that's uh, like. 298 megapixels. If a regular monitor continues to have only 96 pixels an inch, you could lower that significantly. But sorry, uh, I like Retina. You can have 9,600 by 5,400 or 51 megapixels. Either way, good luck with that. <laughs> and he, Ryan has a link to a calculator for that. Uh, uh, Ryan says that he likes high-density storage methods. It's not about converting. It's about future storage. I would love to put podcast production files onto huge disks, uh, distribute them around, and have backups. And hmm. 
Uh, Ryan wonders, Chris, why don't you have a bookmark sync service like Xmarks or Chrome Sync or Firefox Sync? I used to have Firefox Sync, but that was, but that bit me when they I accidentally copied over all my uh, classified links. Classified links. Uh, not work appropriate. Ah, your NSFW links. Yes, let's go with that. <laughs> okay. So, and uh, apparently Ryan is the only one who listens because he's the only one who said so. So go ahead and use the contact function on the Nexus.tv. And uh, don't forget that today is International Backup Awareness Day. And every, every day, day is International Backup Awareness Day, so back up your stuff. And I'll have plenty of time to do that since I'm on vacation and have hardly anything else to do. I Ex would say play a video game. Except this week is a pinball tournament. It's going on. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I wish you the best of luck. And yeah. I'm going to laugh if you, if you turn out to be world champ. <laughs> Me too. So this is the Professional and Amateur Pinball Association as they're having their 16th World Pinball Championship uh, this coming weekend. So, and that's going on like five miles away. So, how, how many quarters do you have? Um, I think I have over $20 worth. But, um... That's it? Yeah, but, you know, you can always get quarters from somewhere. I would hope so. <laughs> well, let's just hope it's not a black market for quarters there. Yeah. I got $20 quarters selling for $40. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't think that would fly too well. Of course it wouldn't fly too well. Do you know how much those quarters weigh? Hmm. Well, in that case, it would probably cost 40 bucks the value of the quarters plus the fuel to get them there. Yep. And, like, labor costs and taxes and all that. Once you factor in all of that, it's worthless, really. <laughs> True. Well, I have in my hand one of the old $20 bills from 93. And in my drawer, I have an old $10 bill. And somewhere I have a few $2 bills. You know, you can go to the bank and get $2 bills. I know. They're, they're fun. Could you, could you give them to some of the younger generation? And they think it's counterfeit money. Yep. So, I mean... Which is hilarious. Yeah, there's... You know, I'm pretty sure that you can make a metaphor... You know, as common as a $2 bill. <laughs> I'm not exactly... I think I'm going to use that around work. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what I would use it for, but... It's, it's, well, for, it, it'd be about the opposite as sure as the sun sets in the east. Hmm, but more common than a lightning strike. Yep. So... You know, something that happens, but not that often. Yeah, it's something that you know exists, but you don't see it, like, 
every month, even. Like, as rare as a blue moon. Hmm. <laughs> so. Common as the $2 bill. Or as rare as a $2 bill as it may be. So. I guess, I guess it's conditional depending on which kind of emphasis you want to put on it. Yep. So. Great! Anything? The new metaphor, two of them, in fact. So, um, what are you going to be doing over the weekend or coming week? Playing video games. Yep, I'll probably be doing that next week since I uh, my vacation extends into next week. Nice. So and the weekend after that, I am moving two of my friends down. Two of your friends down. Yep. They're moving from a small town down to Louisville. Oh, so I'm going cool. to help them move. Cool. Yep. All right. One of them's moving down to find better jobs, and the other one's going to college. Hmm. Interesting. Yep. So, well, that seems to be about it. So, uh, have a good one. Adios.